0: This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Nine Finger Chronicles time once again. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. That Did that sound like a radio DJ? Quick fact, quick fact. When I was in college, I was a DJ on my uh, Waldorf College in Northern Iowa. Waldorf College. I was in their communications program, and I, back in the day, wanted to be a radio DJ. That's this is no joke. Uh, I went. I took a whole bunch of classes. I had two for two years. I had two radio shows on the uh, on the the college campus radio station, and one of them was I had to play the, the school's music, the radio station's music, and then the other one, I could bring in my own uh, music, and I chose to play, it was a blues, so it was like rhythm and blues, I, I, and I'm, I'm sure nobody listened to it, but either way, it was uh, very fun, very educational, and in a way, it kind of led me, it started the path to where I am today and i think you're all very lucky i don't do the radio dj voice for this podcast cuz that would get annoying real fast with all that said though today we have a an awesome podcast and it's not preachy it's not like hey you need to do this it's a conversation about uh, about what consistent success looks like and what i mean by that is today's guest chris krueger he's from missouri <laughs> he it kind of clicked for him somewhere around 2017 and he's been on a successful run since then. Uh, he harvested a really good deer last year. He har- harvested a, a really good deer this year and all the way back to 2017. It clicked for me in about 2016 and I've been on a really good roll ever since targeting mature whitetails. And so that's what this this episode is about it's about what we've done that allows us to be consistent and it is i mean we talk about everything from the failures that we've had and what we've had to learn from We've talked about the the details, right? We do, we get into the, the conversation about access routes. We get into the conversation about um, being mobile, wind direction, cutting the wind, when to be aggressive, when to lay off and, and things like that. So this is just two guys who, and, and I don't want this to sound arrogant or cocky, but two guys who are on a good roll, sharing ideas with each other and, and just talking about what has, um, led them to be more successful over over this time frame and what i'd like for this to happen is if you're struggling or if you are on a roll yourself see if anything that we talk about is the same or different and i I think it's really cool to bounce ideas off of other hunters who have been successful Uh, because it's always a good idea to have a backup or another little tactic or, or trick in your pocket when things maybe start to go wrong. Because I, I'm on a roll, but I, I am the first to admit that I have struggled in the past getting deer to come within shooting range of, of my tree stand locations. And so I've been on a roll, but I also know that, and I've, I've talked, to the, talked about this on another podcast, We are not in control. We can put ourselves in the best possible position, but ultimately at the end of the day, the whitetail is in control. The deer, the prey, the the game animal that we are hunting is is ultimately in control. And sometimes they walk one shooting lane, you know, one tree limb out too far or they come in close and then they, they walk straight away from you and you never have a shot. I mean, things like this, we just can't control. We just have to put ourselves in the best possible position, and that's what we talk about today. So it's a it's a really fun episode about uh, consistent success in the whitetail woods. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, his name is Chris Kruger. He's from Missouri. Uh, before we get into today's episode, it is commercial time, and uh, I got to try to make these commercials fun so they absorb. You know, these companies pay me to talk about their products, and I want that, that to have an impact on you. So uh, let's see... I'm going to compare every every one of these commercials to a movie that I liked when I was a kid. Um, All right, then we're going to start with Tethered. And for some reason, the first movie that pops into my head when... I think of the brand Tethered is American, American Ninja, American Ninja. And that is a movie about this American who is a ninja and he fights ninjas. It's a, it's a really shitty 80 movies, uh, 80s movie, but I'll tell you this, it is, it's a really good movie when you're 10, 11, 12, and you just love the action movies. And there's like these dudes just beating the crap out of each other and then you go back in your 40s and you watch it again you're like holy cow this movie's absolutely horrible but that has nothing to do with with tethered i just feel like the tethered product is a ninja product and so if you're looking to become the ultimate ninja in the woods then you definitely need to go and check out the tethered lineup of saddle Saddles, platforms, climbing sticks, and saddle hunting accessories. So go check out Tethered. <laughs> the, the the next is, God, I'm going to have to look this movie up. Hulk Hogan was in a wrestling movie. And No Holds Bards was the name of it. And he has to go up against this gigantic black dude. Um, uh, God, he that same dude is in the movie uh, Friday. Friday. And uh, and so anyway, they it's like this good versus evil, and it's just this high intensity uh, movie, another movie in the early 90s, late 80s that when you go back and watch, they're not good now. But again, this has that movie now has nothing to do with Wasp Broadheads. And Wasp Broadheads remind me a lot of like very intense, very, like the good guy's gonna win. If you have an arrow, a broadhead, a wasp broadhead on the tip of your arrow, the good guy's gonna win, and that's usually you. So uh, go check out wasp archery at wasp, wasparchery.com, NFC20 for a twenty percent discount. And uh, dude, just a really, uh, a really good movie, uh, really good broadhead. Wasparchery.com, twenty percent discount, NFC20. The next is hunt stand, and let's see. Hunt stand reminds me of a movie called. I I I really liked the movie The Hunt for Red October, right? Because it's this this very strategic, very um, intense like submarine warfare. It, I mean, it's just a, this chess match, and I feel like Hunt Stand is the check the, the chess board where you play chess on, and how you document everything, and you 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 have the ability to be re, really detailed about all your movement, all your scouting, uh, how the deer are moving through the terrain. So, so Hunt Stand is kind of like the Hunt for Red October with Sean Connery. Um, it is an awesome tool to use. It, you know, and it goes wherever you go. It's on your phone and it gives you the ability to really journal everything that you see and uh, also go check out the pro whitetail upgrade that they're offering, huntstand.com. And last but definitely not least, Vortex. And I know this little segment is going longer than what you probably want, but I'm having fun right now. So, Vortex Optics, what movie represents? vortex optics dang I might I might actually have to come back to this one because I got to think about this one the first three were really easy vortex knowing, knowing some of the guys that work there um, I don't know man gosh dang it I want to say I, I don't know why but the movie um, oh, hang on one second I just, I just watched it the other day. I just watched it the other day. One second, please bear with me. I'm looking it up right now on Google. Um, Johnny Ringo, hey Johnny Ringo. Let's see. Just, uh, he's a gunfighter. Johnny Ringo was a gunfighter, and he was Tombstone. The movie Tombstone. I don't know why, but the movie Tombstone reminds me of Vortex Optics. It's a really good movie. The, uh, Tombstone has carrying weight too because it doesn't suck. It, it was awesome then when I first saw it and it's awesome now every time I see it. Great movie. Great acting. A great list of actors just like Vortex has a great list of customer service rep, reps that uh, um, make it what it is. And awesome products. Awesome uh, binos. Awesome uh Rangefinders, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, red dots, you name it, Vortex has it. And they're gonna keep they're gonna take care of you. Just like the crew in Tombstone took care of the town tombstone, right? So Vortex Optics takes care of their their customers. The, the the list of the the actors take care of Tombstone. That the Cowboys take care of Tombstone. So, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop now because this has got out of hand. I really appreciate you guys listening to that rant. It's just a new way of doing the advertising. Hopefully, you guys uh, enjoy it. But this is a really good podcast. In, enjoy it. What and the, the thing that I really want you to do is head on over to my Instagram page and message me. And let me know what you think that you've done over the years that has e- that has either helped you become more successful, or has you know things that you think you need to do more of to help you become successful, or maybe some of the problems that you've had when you are not uh, when why, because you're not being successful. So really good conversations there. Uh, let's get into today's episode, man. Good vibes. Three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Mr. Chris Kruger. Chris, what's up, man?
1: How's it going, Dan? It's good to be here.
0: It's going good. Uh, I don't know where you're at, but temperatures in Iowa are starting to dip, and there's a, uh, a pretty significant cold front coming through Iowa for this upcoming gun season, which usually gets the deer on the feet, and which usually means that a lot, a lot of deer get uh, destroyed during the uh the first gun season here in Iowa. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh it's also cold here or is going to get cold today actually. Uh I am in Kansas City. Uh just a little bit north of Kansas City and I hunt around here and then also northern uh Missouri. So like right off I'm talking like 2 miles off the Iowa border is uh the second place that I hunt a lot
0: of. Oh, okay. That new farm that I got access to this year isn't too far from the Missouri border. So uh yeah, that's uh it's good for a reason, right? Up in those down in down in those areas, up in those areas for you. Um and, and big deer love to love to hang out there. So uh before we get into the topic today, what do you do for a living?
1: So uh I actually work for uh one of the larger metropolitan police departments here in the Kansas City area.
0: Okay. So are you are you a police officer?
1: Yes, I, uh, I supervise an investigative unit, so I'm actually a, a sergeant. But yeah, I've okay, law enforcement here.
0: But you're not you're not on the beat, so to speak.
1: Correct. Okay. Nope. Uh, in, in investigations here, and uh, so that presents some of its own challenges, I guess, with time off and and being able to get out to hunt. But yeah, still make it work.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you this, right? This man, I got I know a buddy uh, who he is a, a homicide detective. Uh, Well, I shouldn't say just homicide, but it's all like all types of crimes. Right. Um, Okay. but the crazy stories come typically with homicide and, you know, all that stuff. So I take it that there's never really a dull moment uh, in your job.
1: Correct. Yeah. So the division I'm in is violent crime. So we get, you know, whole. Uh, scope of things but it's there's always something going on it's it's a very busy area so yeah (laughs) there's always something going on
0: is there a lot of gangs in kansas city
1: yeah there are surprisingly yeah i don't know and even even in the smaller metropolitan regions uh you know we're starting to see some of that activity so
0: okay all right so last year you found success this year you found success. And so I'm on, a, I'm on a quite a, a bit of a good roll here in Iowa, um, targeting specific caliber of deer or specific deer and, and getting the job done. So the topic today that I would like to touch on is what consistent success looks like. And I know that's different from every region of the United States and every scope that the white tailed deer lives in. Cause you know, obviously deer density has a lot to do with it when the rut is when the gun season is, and there's a whole bunch of different, uh, you know, uh, ingredients that go into this recipe of, you know, trying to to kill a deer and what that looks like. But you've, you've found consistent success in the last two years. And, uh, are you on a, Are you on a pretty good roll yourself, or is it just the last two years?
1: I'm on a pretty good roll. Um, I think since 2017, there's only been one year that I haven't uh, harvested a nice buck. So I've been really thankful. Um, this did not used to be the pattern of success that I found myself with, but yeah. um, since 2017, I have really. I, I feel like I've developed a lot. I've learned a lot. I've put a lot more time into listening to podcasts, doing, you know, some aerial scouting, just really, um, I guess spending more of a year round approach to it when I have time, um, as opposed to what I used to do and being more mobile, which I think is probably what's really helped me be consistent.
0: Gotcha. The consistent success is, is is different. So then just in my opinion, like I, I really do believe that if even a brand new hunter decided, you know what? I want to go out and I want to shoot a doe. I really feel like in my environment, maybe even in nor- the Northern Missouri environment, there's probably some States where that could actually be hard. Like uh, I talked to a guy up in Vermont one time and he's like, dude, I see, I see four deer all year, all season long, yeah. Four deer. imagine that, how frustrating that would be coming from the environments that we hunt to, to that that would be frustrating
1: I can't even imagine
0: yeah so what is your goal every year
1: so my personal goal is to take a mature buck okay. so in my opinion that is four and a half year olds or older okay um I do I'm admittedly a little bit of a trophy hunter um I do really like antlers but uh, like the buck I shot this year We guessed, I've had people guess he's in the six to nine year old range. And so that's still to me a trophy, even though he's just never, he never grew a good rack. Yeah. I think you had a buck like that once yourself. Uh, Just never had great genetics, never produced a great rack, but was still a trophy because he was a mature animal, um, a dominant animal. And so really that's my goal is just to take a mature each year
0: yeah two thousand my, my 2016 buck was a perfect example of that we're talking a four-year-old I'm guessing he's a four-year-old huge body I mean he uh and to this day might be one of the biggest necks on a buck that I've ever shot I mean he was just rutted to the max and so um I shot my 2016 buck and he was out of from a body size standpoint he's probably number 3 in the biggest bodies that I've ever shot but had only like this 135-140 class rack as a 10 pointer. And so yeah, I, you look at that and you're like like genetics has a lot to do with it. Right. Yep. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And at the same time I in 2000 and was it 16 I think it was 19. I'm I'm trying to think 2019. Uh, Anyway, it was either 17 or 19. I think it was 19. I I shot a buck that was a two-year-old with a much bigger rack. And so I don't like it. It just, it, it amazed like that, that part of the equation, especially in the Northern Missouri, Southern Iowa, you know, in, in the Iowa where the, the soil is rich, the, they're getting the nutrition that they need. There's a, there's a lot of cover water and they can get big bodies and they can live healthy lives. They're not struggling for food and they have the nutrition to grow that, how the right. the genetics really plays a part in all of that.
1: I can tell a big difference personally from the deer that I see you know, hunting in the Kansas city area versus when I go, you know, an hour and a half mm-hmm. North up in Northern Iowa, you can just tell there's just the genetics are so much bigger. Right. And that's where I start to, it's a little bit hard sometimes if you get a really impressive three and a half year old versus maybe you get a four and a half year old that isn't quite so impressive. Yeah. Both of the, when you start getting into that range is a little harder to judge for yeah. me personally, but I do my best.
0: Yep, absolutely. And I can tell you the, the picture of the deer that uh that you have that you shot this year. I mean, you could just look at his head. He's got a huge head and right. he has the characteristics on his rack. You know, and, and uh, you can't you can't look at a rack and and, and in my opinion accurately identify an age from a deer but yeah i agree there are certain characteristics that come with an old deer's rack that you can look at it and go hey dude that's that's an that's an older deer and the the buck that you shot definitely has those characteristics not to mention the huge like i I look at that deer and i say dude he's got a big head and he's got huge front shoulders
1: yep yeah what what sold me? I saw him three times. The morning that I ended up taking him, uh, I saw him three times. He's with the doe every time, dogging her around, chasing good. Um, what kind of sold me on him was he carried? Even though he's not got a huge rack, he carried the mass out like to the end of his main beams really well. Yep. And he just he just had that big rectangle, like gray almost looking body to him. Or um, I just knew I just knew he was a mature
0: buck. Yeah, for sure. And so, you know, when when we talk about consistent success and and what that means, um, you know, all the way back to 2017, what were some things that you feel maybe, maybe some big indicators or big changes that you made or aha moments or just really anything that you feel led to more consistent success for you?
1: So in 2017, um, I shot one of my bigger deer and what happened was I, I saw that deer the night before hunting out of a ground blind. I saw him hop a fence into a cornfield and I knew that I wanted to shoot that deer. And so the next night at that time, I had no sort of mobile setup at all. I had, you know, traditional preset hang on stands that were the same stands we all hunted every year. And so my only opportunity at that deer was to move in. And my idea was I was going to sit in this cedar tree along a fence line. That was all that was there. And I was thinking if he did the same thing, came to this field two days in a row, I might have a chance at him. So the following night, I I know the guy I was hunting with thought I was probably crazy, but the following night I went out, I took a little, like a camp chair, basically. I cut a couple of branches in the cedar tree and I sat in it yeah and on the ground I had the wind it, on the ground on the ground yep i sat there i had the wind in my face cornfield there was a cold front coming in and it got i would say within 20 minutes of dark hadn't seen a single deer and i was like this was a stupid idea um so i sat there i was gonna assume be packing up my stuff here pretty quickly and then i saw a smaller buck and a doe come into the field Uh, Pretty close to me, I'd say within 30, 40 yards, and they started working their way towards me. Um, And then I just saw this huge rack come out of the the woods into the field, started working his way towards me, and he was completely paying attention to this smaller buck and doe. And I was able to get to full draw and make a good shot on this uh, buck at probably seven yards from me sitting on the ground in the cedar tree. Yeah. And that was the first time that I had success where something clicked that I was like, I saw something, I made a move on it, and I was successful. And that's really what led me down the path of learning about mobile hunting and I think what's helped me be successful ever since then.
0: Right. Man, before that, I want to talk about the seasons before, before the aha moment. Okay. Were you afraid to move? Let's say, like, you saw a buck several times come through a specific area and you just sat and watched it keep coming through that area without moving. because um, I'll, I'll say this I was afraid to move, I don't know why. I just it just wasn't like, man, I'm if I'm that's too aggressive. I always felt like that right. was too aggressive. Um, did, were you afraid of those type of scenarios?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, I felt like uh, back in the earlier days mobile hunting wasn't really even discussed a lot. I wasn't listening to podcasts. YouTube wasn't as big. And so when you would read these hunting magazines or, or see you know, TV shows, I guess, you would just see guys and they were going to a ladder stand. They were going to a preset hang-on stand. That's just what you did. And if you got a shot at one, you did. If you didn't, you didn't. Yeah. Um, the mobile stuff wasn't really talked a lot about, I don't feel like. So yeah, yeah I, I was definitely scared.
0: Yeah. And so when you when you make that first initial move and and mine was in 2016, when I had my snap, you know, my, my uh, Thanos snap and I had just like th- my life changed. And, mm-hmm. and so I ended up, you know, I was like, Holy, Holy cow. I can't believe this worked. I was so excited to get to the next season so I could try it again and do it again. Right. And, and so um, I was mobile for some, you know, I was mobile a little bit before that, but a lot of, you know, I was doing the preset, the, you know, the preset uh, stands just like you were. And so um, as you start, like once that happened, how, how did you, because a lot of times uh, guys may do that, but they don't understand it right? And, th- and then they'll go back right. to a routine that doesn't make sense anymore. It actually is opposite of what got them their success in the first place. Did you have any type of, uh, backward s- seasons where you just got lazy again, you know, not calling you lazy, but you know, you know what I mean? Um, you got lazy again, or you got stagnant in, in the, the, m- like being mobile.
1: I don't know that I went a whole, se- uh, whole season ever, but there were, you know, some times where uh, maybe it was just too cold, or it was you know super early morning, and I didn't feel like going out and finding a tree in the dark and climbing. And that does get old. Yeah. So there were some just hunts in general that I went back to a preset stand, and I would see deer moving, but they'd be. 50 yards over or they'd be a hundred yards over further on the ridge than I was. And I wanted to be there. So, uh, you know, obviously looking at it and saying, well, if you would have not been lazy and you would have just come out here and, and climbed a tree and hung over a hundred yards, you might've had an opportunity at one of them. So then, you know, I'm trying to play catch up and maybe the next day, maybe the movement's not the same. Maybe the deer aren't there. They could be on the other side. So yeah. Um maybe not a whole season, but I've I've definitely had those moments that have kept me going and realizing the value of that first sit, every sit kind of experience you get being mobile.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so as you, you know, as you start to play around with that, you know, the the mobile hunting and and just knowing, "Oh man, dude, th- this actually works." You know, talk to us about refining the mobility and, and, and really starting to break it all down, like, because you can't just move, right. And say, well, I'm going to go sit over there. You have to think about wind direction. You have to think about access routes. Like, what did that look like for you?
1: And I think I still, I still do that a lot. Um, as far as not just going to a preset stand, but have any ability to, uh, well, the wind's out of the south today, so now I need to be on the north side of this bedding area, and then we get a wind switch. Maybe it's middle of the day, maybe it's the next day. Well, now I need to be on the opposite side of this bedding area to try and catch them cruising. Um, Just really paying attention to weather and the wind, uh, which I honestly, in my early days of hunting, I didn't give a lot of thought to those sorts of things. I think my access routes probably weren't great, Um, and I didn't pay attention as much to that where now I'm trying to be careful. I'm trying to strategically put myself into, um, whatever wind direction is going to work out for me. And I know you do have to, or I find you have to be a little risky with that because if it's perfect for you, it may not be great for deer movement. So you're right. kind of trying to split that wind. And I even set up sometimes where, I think the movement may be directly downwind of me, but I should have a shot there. And so if I do get winded, if it's a deer I want to take, then I, I should be able to make a shot before, you know, right before he's busted me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you start to play around with that, I mean, I can't believe how many times I got busted in that, Mm -hmm. in that process, did it go fairly easy for you or did you struggle with that?
1: No, I, and I, I think I still struggle a little bit. Um, you get in places where maybe the, you know, your app says it's a, a south wind, but you get in there and you get up in your tree and throw some milkweed and maybe it's not a south wind. Maybe yeah, it's cool. a little bit off. Um, so I still, there are times and I found places on both properties that I hunt that I know, depending on where I'm set at on the ridge, uh, that the wind's going to probably be a little bit different. And then you bring in thermals into it and that can change things too. So I'm still definitely learning. Um, But being able to make those fine adjustments, even if it's still an area you want to hunt, being able to make those little adjustments just so you're maybe, you know, on the correct wind side for where you want to be versus if you just have a stand and the wind's not good for it and you can't hunt it, you can move 20 yards one direction or the other and you're still in the game
0: right right so it's not just being mobile in my opinion i i think to to find consistent success you have to put more time into it as well did you put any more time into hunting like just more hunting or more prep work or more just not necessarily doing something, but just thinking about it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'd say since definitely 2018 ish timeframe, I feel like I've spent a lot more time. um, I I spend most of my drives to and from work, listening to some sort of hunting related podcast. Um, I do a lot of reading i I look at a lot of maps i mean even the properties that i i hunt not just new ones i'm looking for or maybe some public spots but just the the properties i do hunt i spend a lot of times just looking at maps and thinking man what's what's over there and now i've got the ability to go see that but uh, it may be something i'm thinking about for next season or something i see on stand now that i think man i'd really like to even just get a set of permanent sticks here so I can just run in here with my saddle or my hang on and be ready to go. Cause this is a, a good area. Right. Uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about it and right. trail camera data, I think is important. Um, I got into cell cams this year, which I'd never got into before. And that's uh, pretty addicting. Um, so <laughs> probably going to look to pick a, a couple of those up uh, in addition for next year, but I definitely am, more of a student of the game now than I used to be. Um, yeah, so I think that's definitely played a big role.
0: Yeah, and I I can't tell you how important you know I, I feel a lot of guys want to be better, but they they hit a. a a wall mentally where they say, man, I just don't have the time to do it, but you do have the time. And what I mean by that is you don't have to be on the farm or on the hunting property scouting or hanging trail cameras or, or doing, but what you can do is you can go to a free app on your phone or on your computer when, you know, when you're sitting in bed or 30 minutes or like shit, when you're on the When you're taking a dump, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like that or the kids are in bed, right? No matter how busy you are, you have time to look at that. And I don't even, even that is just thinking about it. I don't know how much time, you know, now I don't think about it as much because it, I don't know, it just comes natural because I've done it so, so much, but before it was coming natural to me, I was thinking about access routes on some of the farms that I was hunting. I was thinking about deer and just going through different scenarios in my head like okay, if it was late October, you know, it maybe it maybe it's June or uh, you know I'm at a cookout or something like that and there there's a moment where I'm just thinking about stuff. I'm right. thinking about I'm thinking about these things or if I'm, you know, in a car driving, I'm I'm thinking about it. And and honestly, that to me maybe it's subconscious maybe it's just actually almost like studying for a test when it came time to hop in the woods and start this i already knew what i was doing i didn't have to guess and and right. and, and play around in the woods it was get out of my truck walk this access route get to this area look for a tree set up in it and my you know my wind's going to be doing this on this wind and sure enough right. man that it it all helped yeah,
1: if if I wasn't busy enough with work, um, I've got uh, a four month old and a two year old right now, so oh my my time is super limited. Yeah. Um, but you're 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 right. When I'm sitting there doing something at home, or you know the kids are playing, I can be looking at a map on my phone and say, you know, the next time I go out, I really like this area. I'd like to be in this area, and I'm already by the time I drive there the next time I've got something in mind, maybe I don't have a tree picked out, but I know where I'm going. Yeah. Or maybe I don't have time to run up, you know, 45 minutes and grab trail cameras and get back. But having a cell camera is super helpful. I can get those um, on my phone. I can see what deer are doing, what wind direction was it that day, use the historical weather data, see what they're doing um, and know, uh, at least a little bit of what's going on in the woods, without having to actually be there. That way, the time that you do get is better spent when right. you're there.
0: Right. Absolutely. So you know you can really dissect the strategy, right? The, the whole strategy, right? The the putting yourself in the best position and, and identifying the the betting areas. You know, I mean, shit. That's all people talk about, right? Right. But what I don't think a lot of people talk about is mindset. And, sure. and so did your mindset change over the course of, you know, let's just say pre, uh, pre 17, post 17, and maybe even from 17 to now, how you've refined that, uh, that thought process.
1: Sure. Um, I think, and, and like you said too, being involved is also, I think a big part of that pre Pre-being mobile and pre-2017, I really wasn't even hunting that much, I guess. I was going up for my normal five-day bow hunting trip and sitting in pre-hung stands. And once I was done with that, I was pretty much done for the year until the next year. Yeah. Once I started getting mobile, um, I guess I'm having more confidence. My mindset is I'm going somewhere that I think is going to be a high probability of maybe not getting a, a, seeing the target buck I'm after, but at least seeing deer and seeing good deer. And so each time I'm going out now, I'm having the confidence of this is a good spot. It's a spot I picked. I chose this location for whatever number of reasons. And I'm confident that I'm there. Yeah. Um, I know guys talk about, you know, I don't care if I see a ton of deer, I just want to see the deer. And I think there's there's definitely something to that. Um, I like to see good bucks, even if they're, you know, even if I'm just filming them, I do a little bit of just, uh, amateur cell phone filming, but I like to film deer too. And I have fun doing that. Um, but really just having that mindset and confidence that I've picked this location, I picked it because of some reasons, whether it's wind direction or I, I've got trail camera data about it, but just being confident that this is the spot. It could definitely happen here. And that really keeps me more engaged versus if I'm just going out sitting in a stand, because that's what was open that day with the other people that were hunting. And maybe I will or won't see anything. Um, I just feel like I'm definitely more mentally engaged, which is important because things obviously happen quick in the deer woods. And if you're not focused and ready to make a shot uh, or make a move on a deer, you may not get that same opportunity with a mature buck. Um, Maybe not even that year, but you're not going to get, in my opinion, a lot of opportunities at mature bucks each season.
0: Right, right. And so now, like for me, another another thing I had to overcome is, you know, this is this is a mental part of the game as well. Another thing that I personally had to overcome was the moment of truth right and right. and being around big deer not just being around them but draw you know with them in shooting range drawing back and having composure enough to make the shot did right. did you have to go through any type of buck fever like overcoming buck fever or or feeling comfortable around higher caliber deer
1: Yes. And I think for me, like I really get that initial adrenaline dump when I see him moving through the woods. Yeah. Um, I see them moving, I look at them with my binoculars and that's really when I start getting the, uh, I guess the adrenaline dump of like, man, that's a great deer. And then I start kind of refining it of, okay, focus here. Is it a shooter? Is it not? And sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a, a smaller, it's maybe a two and a half year old or a three and a half year old that just, yeah you know, caught my attention and now I'm getting a, a good <laughs> adrenaline dump out of it, but that's what makes it fun. Right. Um, but I do feel like, I, I don't know why it is, but once I have made the decision that this is a deer that I want to take, I feel like I kind of, I don't know, I just go into a, a mode of, um, just focusing on what I've practiced being aware of, are there other deer around me that are going to catch me drawn? When can I, when can I get to full draw? Um, You know what's around me. I'm trying to pay attention to those sorts of things. Is there a you know a branch that I'm going to shoot, or where is my shot at? So I'm starting to. Maybe it's just because I'm focusing on the shot process that I usually at the moment of truth uh, I I do pretty well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I'm getting. I'll say this. I'm getting better, but I'm not a master of it yet. I mean, I know guys. I totally agree. uh, I know guys who. I mean, they're just straight slayers, man. They'll they'll go out and they'll have a two hundred inch deer standing in front of them and they'll just be like, like when they see it come in, they'll just in their head they they'll just say that that he's dead, he's already dead, right? I can't (laughs) I can't do that quite yet, but every year that I am closer and drawn back on these animals, it does get easier.
1: Yeah, I I do think there's something to be said for being around them or making good shots on these animals. I think does increase your experience um I, i've never been around a 200 inch deer but i yeah. i don't have any idea what i would act like yeah. in that situation maybe i'd be just wouldn't even be able to make a shot i don't know um i'd like to think that i could but i think being around them and experience definitely helps yeah to calm some of those nerves
0: yeah absolutely now you can answer this however you want to answer it but do you have a process
1: um as far as shot process goes no
0: just like you can you can answer it overall season like over you know over the course of an entire season over the course of just a hunt over the course of a vacation you know like a hunting a rutcation or something like that is there a process that you that you live by
1: that's a tough one um I think my process is more just, I guess, being able to go hunt when I can go hunt, when I have the time to, and being ready for that. So like my gear is all together. I'm doing my best. If I see good weather coming, I see a good cold front or a specific time of year. I I really like to, um, here in Missouri, I like to hunt that second week in November, which leads up to our gun season. I love hunting that week. Sometimes with work, that's not a possibility where I may have to run out before I go to work or I may have to go after work. So I guess my process being more having my gear ready, um, practicing consistently, I try and shoot my bow through the season quite a bit, just one for confidence and two to be ready to go. Um, I think my process is more I don't know I guess just studying the weather and the conditions having all my gear ready to go um, and then you know being willing to make a move on something and knowing what time of year it is can I get away with a little more aggressive um, access or aggressive locations and I don't think I necessarily have like a a process process um, per se, but I guess it's more just when I can go getting out there and making sure everything's ready, including myself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. My process is, and I'm just going to speak high level on my, my annual process. And so uh, for me, for me, really what I like is, is, trail cameras right and i think trail sure. cameras allow me to do a lot when i can't do a lot right it, it allows me sure. to to identify the caliber of deer in the in in said area it allows me to say okay this is the amount of deer that are this is the amount of deer this is the caliber of bucks that are in the area and so i can already make a decision on what i want to shoot before the season even starts really, you know, like, so for this year, the buck that I shot was number one on my hit list uh, on, on that farm. Okay. And so I ended up, you know, I, I shot that, I shot that buck because I knew he was there. Uh, and the way the property kind of lies, you know, I had to shoot from the hip a little bit, but just, just looking at the terrain and knowing how deer move through terrain, I had a good idea that I was going to see this deer if he was, in fact, still there during the rut. And I, I had pictures of him in, uh, let's see, I had pictures of him all the way through October, all the way into when I started hunting the rut there, and I just had a really good feeling that I was going to, going to run into him. So I think from a process standpoint, it's trail cameras getting in there and then making the move when the time is right with the right conditions and and i know there's a lot of detail that goes into that that comment but i i feel like it's a very it's very simple once you understand how to do it it's very simple
1: I'll even throw in uh, shed hunting, I think is important. Yes. Uh, yes. On my property here locally, I like to get out, you know, do some shed hunting. Um, but even shed hunting, you're getting into those areas that maybe you wouldn't during season and you can see how deer are using it um, and get an idea of maybe this is somewhere I want to try and set up around or in during the next season. Right. Um, and totally agree with the cell camera or any trail cameras really, but by knowing Okay, I do have, you know, a four and a half year old here, or maybe two four and a half year olds. The first three and a half year old you see, you don't automatically think, Oh, well, that's the best deer I'm gonna see this year. I better take it. You have the knowledge of there is a bigger deer here. I need to hold out, hit my goals, and then work your way back into okay, what the weather look like when's a good time to go in after them and right. making sure that you're prepared with your gear and with your practice to go in and and be uh you know make an ethical shot
0: yeah absolutely and there's no in my opinion there is no better time to to scout for old sign to to see the actual lay of the land than that shed hunting time frame, where sometimes the snow is melted. Everything is flat. So you get to see the true terrain. There's no vegetation in the way. And you, you know, sometimes there's snow on the ground. Uh, You can see the trails that they're using. And my bet, and I'd love to hear your opinion on this. My bet is that that trail or that area, maybe it's a little bit off. Maybe it's a little, you know, uphill, maybe it's a little bit downhill, but that area of travel remains the same all year round.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, year to year and even long periods of time uh, that the farm up in northern Missouri I hunt, there's some old wooden fallen down deer stands back in the woods that we still have both preset and I even mobile hunt in those same areas. And there are still deer on those same patterns from probably 40 or 50 years ago when those stands were hung Um, yeah maybe it's maybe it's 15 yards one direction or the other but it's still that general area that was good then is still good now they're using it for a reason
0: yeah well and and trails like that that you can see with your eyes crit crossings that doesn't happen when over uh, the course of one year that 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 happens after the course of you know oh just over and over and over again. So, um, so you, you know, we've talked a lot about the process, the strategy and and what you've done to find success, but, but the other part of the equation is, is identifying and learning deer behavior. What are some things that you've learned from a deer behavior standpoint that, that maybe was like, oh, geez, man, they do this all the time, or they don't do this all the time.
1: Um, I think the the most I've learned is probably from the last four, going on five years of listening to all these, you know, people that I consider high level hunters on different podcasts and their mindsets about stuff. Um, I I really think that being able to identify a buck's bedding area is important if you can. Um, Or for me, I found quite a bit of success um, hunting in these like thicket areas or, you know, maybe places that a lot of deer aren't using, but the big deer really seem to be pushing does into during the rut. Um, The one I shot this year specifically, he was using uh, just this really thick area that I saw several bucks and they were all chasing in this like fall. It was like a fallen down tree and it had all kinds of gnarly stuff around it. And that's not somewhere I would typically pick to think that was good for deer movement, but they were all pushing does into this really thick stuff, almost up under the trees where the does were trying to get away from them. Um, so just learning that in my opinion, that the mature bucks, they don't necessarily act like deer, um, Certain times of the year, I'm more hunting doe groups and certain times you're really kind of trying to hunt a mature bucks pattern with their, like their bed to feed type pattern. So identifying what you think their major food source is, whether it's ag or it's, you know, a really good ridge that's got fresh acorns on it, knowing what the bucks are doing and how that relates to how you're going to hunt them, um, I think has been something I've really learned a lot of, um, yeah. I'm still, I'm still learning. I'm not an expert by any means, but just putting the effort into learning what the deer are doing at this specific time of year, and then basing your strategy off of that, yeah. um, instead of just going out and sitting and maybe I see something, maybe I don't. And I think that the, the learning piece is key.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And just being able to, to learn Right? right. And I, I think that, man, this, this is where I think I gained the most ground when it taught, when you talk about deer behavior is just watching what they do and not just big bucks, but all deer because, right. you know, deer are deer, they're a species. And yes, there's, there's differences between bucks. There's differences between does there's differences between young bucks and, and mature bucks. And they all do maybe something a little bit different, but they still all do relatively the same thing over the course of uh you know, a day. and and so when when I hear all these people, like and I don't know what what your take is on this, but when I hear all these people try to break down a big mature buck does this and this and this, dude, I honestly don't right. know if they do or not. I don't I, I think I think they're doing the same thing. That a doe group is doing. They're traveling through the same terrain features. They're going to the same food sources. Yeah. They, they they may be a little bit more jumpy or aware, or, you know, they may not come out till later at night, but they're still doing the same things that every other deer is doing.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think, another thing of, or part of that that gets overlooked is what do deer do during the middle of the day? Yeah. Because I know there's even some of my friends, I know they still really think that, you know, you go out in the morning for a few hours and you go out in the afternoon for a few hours and that the deer really just don't do anything in the middle of the day. And I have, I've seen that multiple times. I've, right. I've taken a couple of nice bucks in the middle of the day and I've sat and seen good bucks move in the middle of the day and trail camera data backs that up. Yeah, I really think people, Um, miss out on a huge opportunity when they and not all year long but certain times of the year especially during the rut time um, when you're not sitting all day I really think you're missing out on some good opportunities because they definitely do move during the daytime
0: I feel like you're talking directly to me because (laughs) like I (laughs) absolutely hate hunting all day long I hate it I hate it um but at the same time dude I found success not having to do it so I think I'll uh, I think maybe I'll just wait for the moment where it's like crunch time. Okay. You have to sit all day. Uh, but I'll tell you what, this new property that I, that I just picked up, it is definitely a property to where, you know, because of the limited access, I may be forced to get into certain spots and sit all day long. Sure. So I don't know. And
1: I think you can kind of break that down a little bit too. Of If you don't, if you can't make it dark to dark, even if you just push it out, you know, say an hour or two hours past what you would normally stay instead of getting down at 9.30, 10.30, if you stay till eleven thirty, twelve thirty, I think you can catch another kind of pattern of movement right. that maybe you wouldn't normally see. And you're not sitting all day, but you're sitting longer and maybe you get down and, and you move a little closer to a food a food source in the afternoon and that kind of breaks up your day, but you're still out in the woods
0: all day long. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Chris, man, uh, we're running out of time here. So I I just want to say thanks for taking time out of your day. Congratulations on your, your continued success over the course of the last handful of years and good luck, man. Uh, the next season and the season after that and the season after that.
1: Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate you having me on, uh, not an expert by any means, but I really want to help people out if they, if I can and help them be successful. Um, good luck to you. And I hope the rest of your year goes great too.
0: And there we have it. Another episode of the nine finger Chronicles podcast in the books, Uh, a huge shout out to tethered wasp, punt Stand, and vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Huge shout out to Chris for hopping on and taking time out of his day to uh, chat with us and share his experience with us. Good luck to all of you. Uh, the rest of the season man i know now now we're getting towards the end of the rut the rut is i mean my trail cameras are showing that there's some there's still really good deer movement but it's not the chaos of the rut right so now we got to start falling back into the this bed to feed pattern uh and if you hunt in a really high pressured gun state then you might want to think about uh getting into the timber a little bit more trying to find maybe doing some scouting trying to find the pockets where the deer are active and uh, setting up on that so good luck uh in the next you know from now until the gun seasons are over now until things start getting back to normal now until the end of the season good vibes in good vibes out and if you're going to be in a tree remember to wear your safety harness
1: I